Keith here. When I started making the first episode of, I had no experience doing podcast interviews, especially the technical side of things. It was a lot of confusing steps, setting up double enders or making do with low quality recordings on whatever app I could figure out. But it got a whole lot easier when I started using Zencaster. Made for podcasts with Zencaster, it's so easy to do everything. You and your guests log in with a browser and record studio quality sound and up to 4K video, even with an unstable connection. And it's an all-in-one deal. You don't need a lot of different tools or services. With Zencaster, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major platforms. If you've ever thought about making your own podcast, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code TFEO and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story on Zencaster. Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Haunted, the audio drama. Produced by Jamie Evans and Benton Hodges, Haunted, the audio drama, is a paranormal investigation show. Haunted tells the story of reclusive alcoholic writer James Hunter and bubbly, enthusiastic podcaster Abigail Corbin as they investigate strange and seemingly unexplainable phenomenon. Hodges and Evans share writing and production duties, and Evans voices James Hunter as well. The first episode is part one of a six-part story called The Signal, where the pair investigate a teenaged boy who murders his parents and then takes his own life. There are over 30 episodes in season one, and Haunted's season two just launched. I spoke to Jamie and Benton remotely from their homes in the UK. I would like each of you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do on Haunted, the audio drama. I'm Jamie Evans. Uh, I am the creator, showrunner, co-producer, and lead actor in Haunted, the audio drama. It sort of was my baby that I've been working on since 2010. Uh, and then I brought Benton on board in 2020 when we decided to do it as an audio drama, because originally it was going to be a video series. 
I'm Benton Hodges. My role sort of amalgamated from all sorts of stuff, from producer, writer, helping direct, helping show run. I do a few voices here and there. I, I have a little cameo pretty much in every episode. Marketing, yeah, post-production, pre-production, just, yeah, trying to get it from paper to paper to ear. Jamie, you said this was an idea you had in 2010, but this show didn't come out until 2020. Is that right? Didn't come out till 2022. Yeah. Uh, today is actually the one year anniversary of the show premiering. Oh, wow. That's great. The first thing you need to know is that I'm a, I'm a bit older than Benton. How big's our age gap, Benton? Am I seven years older than you, I think? Uh, yeah, 32 and 25. Yeah. Um, I came up with the idea for Haunted when I was at uni. I was young and naive and had no idea about how much production actually cost. And I was like, yes, of course I can make a show with all these episodes and all these stunts and all these monsters, and it won't cost anything. (laughs) Over the years, the idea has always been in my head, and I've altered it here and there. I've changed it. I got into audio drama around the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, because uh, here in the UK, I don't know what the rules were like in in the States, but in the UK during the first lockdown, uh, the rule was you could only go out if it was for exercise. Hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go out for like four hour long walks and I would just fill my phone up with audio dramas and walk around and I'd go for these really long walks listening to audio dramas. And one day, I was walking through a park near where I live and it, it just clicked in my head. I was like, hang on a minute, we can do this as an audio show. Did you have any background in the arts, Jamie? I've always enjoyed like writing, acting, things like that. I always did a lot of acting in like uh, school plays and things like that. And then I went to uni to study film and television production. Over the years uh, since moving to Southend, I've made a few films. Uh, Actually, the way me and Benton became business partners was just before we decided to work on Haunted, uh, we made our first feature film together, which was like a Nancy Drew, Scooby-Doo type thing. Benton, what is your background in the arts? Again, sort of school drama, Lambda Exams, which was our uh, London Academy of Dramatic Arts sort of the equivalent of, of music grades, but for, for acting. Uh, did did plenty of those growing up. Sort of got bit by the bug, but it wasn't until secondary school where I really got into drama, but it wasn't until university where, you know, when you go, because I, I didn't do anything remotely dramatic, arts, arty at university, and it was sort of one of those moments of realising m- more what you don't want to do rather than what you want to do. Yeah, I get you. And that I'd worked so many sort of jobs where I just couldn't focus. I couldn't pay attention. I, I just couldn't. My instincts, I'd trust my instincts and they'd always be wrong. And everything always seemed to lead me back to storytelling. That it was kind of clicked for me that maybe I should give a give it a shot at storytelling or telling, you know, sort of acting but then realize that I don't actually like being in other people's stuff and I don't like giving my writing to other people. So I kind of <laughs> gradually shifted from being a jobbing actor to writing and producing my own stuff because I have control issues. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> now, have you worked on other shows beside Haunted? We've hosted a, a, a podcast ourselves throughout lockdown that kind of came and went. I've done various sort of acting jobs, but mostly sort of extras and background work and stuff like that, but nothing nothing to the size of, of Haunted. So I'm curious as to how the two of you met and started working together on Haunted. <laughs> 
we were in a Patrick Hamilton play called uh, Rope, which uh, Alfred Hitchcock then did a film of. Oh, right. Uh, right. After its publication, I think it was 1922, I believe, when it came out. And yeah, we were we were the leads in that, along with uh, the guy who wouldn't have appeared in Haunted yet, but another actor in Haunted. The three of us were the leads in that. We didn't click immediately, did we, Jamie? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what happened? I was always late to performances. I'm, I'm sort of chronically late, which I think was you weren't particularly impressed by, Jamie. <laughs> But I think we, we, and we didn't really talk much, I think, during Rope either. It wasn't until sort of the cast party and... I think we just went for drinks afterwards with the cast a few times afterwards, which I hadn't really done with many other acting groups. And it wasn't until then that it kind of clicked that we had sort of similar interests, similar goals. I think I I sort of sent you a script of mine. You sent me some stuff of yours. And then it just kind of, that's as well as I remember. (laughs) That's pretty much right. Um, Yeah, it was, I remember the rehearsal process for Rope and, I, I think I didn't necessarily ingratiate myself to the cast that well. Um, I was going through a bit of a hard time in my life at the time. I was actually really worried on Rope because it was the first time I'd ever played a good guy. Uh, I usually play villains. <laughs> and I was like the the Jimmy Stewart role in Rope. I was so focused on, oh God, oh God, everyone's going to think I'm terrible. They're good. This is going to be terrible. That I didn't really ingratiate myself to anyone until afterwards. But then like Benton said, we, we started talking and he sent me some stuff. I sent him some stuff. Um, and we just met up in a bar one night and I, uh, I suggested the film that we ended up doing Candy Heart to him and said, I think we could get this made for a relatively small amount of money if we play our cards right. Much like Haunted, we kind of were guilty of leaping before we looked, Hmm. um, just as we have been with Haunted. You know, I listen back to season one of this show and there's so many things where I listen back and I'm like, that is not what we would do now. (laughs) Why did we think that was a good idea? Um, I think that's a learning process that a lot of audio dramas go through, especially here in the indie space, you know? I know for me it's true. I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started Book of Constellations. I just kind of put it out there and... I'm generally proud of the way it turned out, but I do look back too and I go, mm, yeah, I could do that differently now. We, you know? we are planning on doing a second. So myself and Charlie in our sort of free time are compiling all the footage from the first season and basically going through it again to kind of give it a bit more polish to release as a physical medium. I think indie gives you gives you that space to make mistakes and it gives you that space to to learn from your mistakes. And I think that's one of the great things about it. It's such a good place to sort of cut your teeth and find out how well you work. Jamie, what made you want to work with Benton on Haunted? It's funny, Benton and I, we often joke that we're like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Um because our creative tastes, our artistic tastes are incredibly different from each other. The only similarity really is the desire to be ambitious and create something that we're proud of. A lot of when we were looking into setting up Haunted, a lot of people we spoke to were like, well, I think there's 33 episodes in the first season. Mm-hmm. And and they were like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing 33? Like, you should be doing 10 maybe and forget all the standalone episodes just do your main story arc and we weren't interested in that we wanted to 
But I think both the, the thing we have in common is both of us get motivated by people telling us we can't do something. <laughs> fueled by spite. Yeah, <laughs> we're fueled by spite. I like that. <laughs> I mean, we are pretty much diametrically opposed on basically everything. I, I think we, we, we have the same work ethic or at least the same, a lot of the same goals. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we once tried to write a sitcom together and I think we both came in with, with wildly different um, goals or, or, or ideas for it. I think we managed to sort of, we toe that line quite respectfully as well. Respectfully disagreeing sort of thing is, is something that we seem to do quite well, which yeah. I think you, you need to be able to do if you have a business partner who, when it, at least when it comes to sort of artistic stuff, you pretty much diametrically opposed to. We, we sort of, we navigate that minefield quite well. What attracted you to Haunted as a project, Benton? The timeline is a bit fuzzy of how I got involved in the project because I have no actual recollection of agreeing to be a producer on the show. <laughs> you just got you just turned up one day and suddenly there you were with all these responsibilities. Is that it? Yeah. It is like a horror film where it's like I don't even know how I got here in the first place. It just sort of I agreed to write some episodes, a write an episode for it, in fact. And then someone dropped out, so I agreed to write a second episode. And then I was just kind of more than happy to help with the process of helping it get from paper to ear. Somewhere along the way, I just kept sort of assuming more and more responsibilities. That's how I remember it. Whereas Jamie remembers specifically asking me to help produce, and I clearly just blocked that out somehow. Would you tell me about Haunted, the audio drama, in your own words? I think it's, it's evolved over time. What I originally thought it was, was a sort of a loose collection of ghost stories with the main characters kind of reoccurring through it. But it's it's definitely sort of blossomed into sort of a dark action adventure. It's definitely compared to Doctor Who a lot. It's larger than life, I think, in a lot of ways. It's comedic elements to it. Fans of this kind of action adventure with larger than life quirky characters. I think it kind of fills that, that niche quite nicely. So Benton's definitely right in the sense that it changed a lot from its original concept. Like even from the concept when I first got involved with Benton, there's definitely been an influence there, which is great. What stands out the most about the show for me, and I think is simultaneously its biggest strength and its biggest weakness, is it's kind of a throwback to 90s television like the X-Files because the show has both standalone episodes and episodes that are contributing to a wider mystery that we're going to be telling for the next five years. Mm. And within that, the show is capable of being almost any genre because what, what's quickly become apparent was that it's not a horror show, in air quotes. It's a show about these characters, and although there's always a horror bent to it, it can be almost any genre. We've got episodes that are suspenseful crime stories. We've got some that are outright horror stories. We've got some that are just like wacky comedies. Um, the, the Christmas special that we did is about elves that steal candy and, um, <laughs> and are addicted to sugar. And I remember looking around while we were recording this scene where the, where the elves have got a runaway ice cream van and we're in the back of the van trying to wrestle this elf into a freezer. And we've got two actresses, Tess and Adina, doing the elf voices. And there's me and uh, Luke and Isabella and Rory. And we're all like screaming and like, oh, God. Uh. And I just looked around and I was like, this is not the show 
I thought I was making, but I'm very glad that it's the show I am making. <laughs> That's great. Well, so the core of the show really revolves around the two primary characters, James and Abigail. Yes, uh, it, it actually goes up to three characters in season two because we promoted Dan to a main character in season two. I'd get the comparisons to Doctor Who or the X-Files. It's about a pair of paranormal investigators who get involved in, um, at least at the beginning, it's sort of small town kind of stuff, investigating uh, grisly murders or other events and finding supernatural causes at the root of them. You've got James Hunter, who is a retired ghost hunter and author. He's burned out. He's disillusioned by the whole paranormal scene. He feels like he wasted his life doing all that. Uh, and then we have Abigail Corbin, who is this young podcaster. And I think that's great because you can do podcaster jokes um, <laughs> with that. She's the host of the Haunted Podcast, a paranormal podcast. And she's a fan of his and she's a believer. She's a dreamer. So we, we get this um, very familiar sort of believer skeptic kind of pair, which you would you see in the X-Files or you do see some in Doctor Who or other similar shows. Were these shows like Doctor Who and the X-Files? Were they inspirations for you? Oh, 100%. Those are probably my two favorite TV shows of all time. X-Files more so back when I first came up with the show. Um, I've kind of drifted away from X-Files a little bit lately, I think just because the ending of it is so disappointing. Um, And Doctor Who is massively to the point where, like, half of my performance as James, I base on Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor. he is the reason James has the gruff sort of growly voice. I I wasn't originally going to do it that way. I was going to do it with my natural voice. And I just kept hearing him and thinking, actually, no, I think James needs to sound a little, a little more like he's been through some stuff. So let's add this, this gravel to his voice, uh, which turns out to have been a terrible mistake because it really hurts doing it for a whole day. (laughs) Why did you want to write this kind of show? And why did you want to, tell these kinds of stories i i don't know if i believe in the paranormal or not yeah but i've always found it fascinating i've never seen anything myself and i've over the years i've actually one of the ways i sometimes make a bit of money is i get hired to go and film ghost hunts which is great fun if you don't mind staying up all night and walking around a damp castle (laughs) uh, with night vision cameras it's it's fine I'm a believer that the majority of people are rational. I don't think there would be as many supernatural reports as there are if everyone was lying. I think there has to be something, but I don't know what. Benton, do you believe in the supernatural? Well, no, I don't believe in the supernatural, but I think there are, there are probably forces of nature that are beyond our sort of scientific instruments that we kind of slowly understand. But my sort of fascination with it, I didn't clock this until very recently, I um, was sort of talking about my writing job to a to a counsellor. And they sort of said, well, what, um, what sort of stuff do you write about? I said, oh, mainly I'm a horror writer. And it was like, oh, what kind of horror? Is it body horror? And it's like, well, actually, most of my stuff circles around the fear of the unknown. Hmm. And I was sort of speaking to this counsellor specifically about anxiety, about uncertainty and whatnot. I hadn't actually clocked the two that my sort of my my main artistic inspiration comes from this inability to have all the answers this inability to understand our own reality which is sort of quite a lot of lovecraftian inspiration there i'd say you know it's interesting because when i think about mythology right we're we're looking at human society thousands and thousands of years ago you know when we were telling stories back then 
we were inventing myths. We were attempting to explain the world, like stuff would happen and we didn't know what it meant. And so we would try to come up with stories to explain these things. And maybe in explaining them, we can get a better handle on them or we can try to control them or we can feel like we're a part of them. I think that's a natural instinct in human beings when it comes to storytelling. Mark! Mark! You should listen to your notes, it's a loud day. Damage your ears. Mark, turn around. What? What's all of this? Mark, this. What are these drawings? What are you doing in here, Mark? The first episode that we hear is part one of six of a story arc called The Signal. And in that, we have the case of a young teenager named Mark, who is, um, as teen boys sometimes do, suddenly changing their moods. And he's becoming kind of aggressive and distant. And he's listening to loud music. And he's making dark drawings. And he's writing in a journal. And his parents don't quite understand But then it gets turned on its head when he turns into this sort of murderous, feral monster, kills his parents and then himself. Abigail, who is chasing down the solution to this mystery, recruits James, who has gone into hiding, into investigating what's going on here and why Mark would become like he is. Who puts pineapple on a pizza? (laughs) You do realize it's very unorthodox to just turn up at somebody's house, right? How do you know where I live? I'm pretty good with computers. You know, the sensible thing for me to do would be to call the police. Tell me now why I shouldn't do that. Because I'm I'm desperate. And because people are dying, Mr Hunter. Oh, damn it. You may as well call me James. <coughs> and your name? Oh, I'm Abigail. Abigail Corbin. Okay, Abigail Corbin. You've got five minutes. Tell me what's going on. Talk to me about why you wanted to tell this story first when you opened your show. I knew I needed a story arc for the first season. I had been doing lots of research into various, you know, unexplained phenomena and things like that. And I came across a video uh, on YouTube. It was called something like uh, the 10 scariest audio recordings in the world or something like that. And there were some really weird ones in there. There was the one that's now been proven to be a hoax where some Siberian miners drilled a hole and put a microphone down it and you could hear the sounds of hell. And there was one, uh, this is actually in America, I don't remember where, but some scientists have built the quietest room in the world. It's so quiet you can like hear your own blood pumping and stuff. From that, I kind of got the idea of, well, we're doing it as an audio medium now maybe the best thing to do is the main arc should be about an audio thing. What if there was a sound so terrible that anyone who heard it was instantly driven insane? What could do that? And that kind of becomes the arc of the entire first season and then springboards into the arc for the next five seasons. One of the things I think is really interesting is that this story does tap into a fear, I think, that parents have, which is that suddenly their their children who, when they were growing up, were perhaps very sweet and kind and friendly, and they get in the teenage years, they're changing. They're suddenly becoming different people because they're figuring out who they are. So I like that you tapped into those kinds of fears. 
Mm. It sort of taps into that, that that same fear that sort of films like Psycho tapped into, isn't it? Because obviously, like before then, it was all Universal Pictures, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and sort of you know um, vampires. I want to suck your blood, kind of <laughs> horror. And then right. suddenly, it was like, well, what if actually the person who's going to murder you in your sleep is actually you know the very good-looking, handsome boy who runs the till at the hotel? The real monsters are people who who hide in pure daylight, who you think you know who, who are never capable of such a thing. I think that's why people are so fascinated with sort of serial killers and stuff is that that is a real threat and it's a real fear jamie do you play with the idea of sort of exploiting people's fears i don't mean that in a in a manipulative way but more from a narrative standpoint yeah i try to um sometimes for better sometimes for worse uh i'll give you an example of four <laughs> clown there is a there's a clown <laughs> in the signal uh i think he doesn't turn up till part three i think and if i could redo this episode i would take the clown out the, okay. the clown is purely there because I was like, people are afraid of clowns. Let's let's <laughs> put a clown in it. But in, in terms of trying to tap into other stuff, there's an episode called The Lonely Shadows where I've tried to tap into that crushing loneliness that I think we can all feel, but definitely when you're a teenager, if you're perhaps the teenager at school who finds it hard to make friends or you're a bit of an outcast i wanted to tap into that so that's an episode about someone who struggles to get along with anyone so they they literally find a way to create their own friends Mm. um, through mystical means yeah i mean i think that's effective but it's smart you have to work really hard to make someone afraid of something they're not already afraid of i'm sorry i feel like i've wasted your time bringing me here there's nothing else You're wrong. You've missed something. Look closer. Where? Down. Down? What? I don't... Oh! There! Those marks by the feet of the bed! It looks like Mark dragged the bed aside at some point. Exactly. Shall we take a peek? Oh my god. I'm guessing the police didn't see this. I don't think so. Note it. Abigail, note it. Beneath the bed, someone, presumably Mark, has carved symbols into the wooden floors. It's mostly strange symbols I don't recognise. Lots of circles with various lines through them. There are two words I recognise, though, repeated from his Facebook video. I'm sorry. That's horrible. Why is this so horrible? Because it's starting to read like an admission of guilt. When this interview comes out, your season two will have launched. When you look back at the beginnings of this show, how do you feel? What do you think about when you look back at the beginning here? I'm eternally grateful for how well the show has done, not just in viewing figures, but in how much the local community and the online community sort of come together to help us out. So many of the roles in the first season were people just giving their voices for free. I think a, a message to ourselves of just that hard work pays off. I think we were blown away by how well this season had done. And, and I think blown away by how well we had done just creating this thing off our own backs. It's funny. I'm, I'm a very self-critical person. And for a long time, I used to look back at this first episode and absolutely hate it. I don't hate it anymore. I used to, I used to say I hated it. Now, when I look at the opening of season two, The Town on the Edge of Hell, and I look back at the signal, I am proud to hear how far we've come. What do you struggle with? 
It's a very broad topic. <laughs> uh, I was diagnosed with pure OOCD a few months prior. Obviously, I've had it my entire life and just not realized what it was. Mm-hmm. But I sort of I, I obsess over sort of specific things and the themes change over years. But it's just sort of only recently kind of getting proper treatment for it, but obsessing over tiny little details till they drive me insane has always been a big struggle of mine. And I know it's a big annoyance of yours, Jamie, where I sort of I'll bring up the tiniest plot point and be like, but it doesn't make any sense that this, 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 and you're like, just, just drop it. Just leave it. <laughs> How do you navigate that? How do you get past that? With treatment, I've learned that sort of the best way to get around it is to basically laugh with the thoughts Mm -hmm. so when you have kind of the thoughts of this doesn't make any sense this isn't any good or uh, you're wasting your time you kind of just laugh with it and go that's such a good idea brain thank you for giving me that that's such a good (laughs) thought and you just kind of sarcastically laugh with it treat it like it's a bully and you get this little rise in anxiety and then you sort of just ride it out and eventually and it took a few months but i'm sort of quite happy to say that i feel like i'm on the other side of it for me, other than just trying to balance this show around a full-time day job as well, imposter syndrome is a big thing for me. Um, like, like I said, the, the show did better than we thought. We, we charted a few times. We got some good reviews. And I still, even after all that, I still sit there sometimes and we'll get one bad review and that's it. I'm in a spiral. Oh, um, or I'll, I'll sit there and I'll listen to other shows that – that I think are better than ours, like um, like Echoes in Between or Subsister or Morbid Forest. They are all incredible shows, and I sit there listening to their shows, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you guys, you're better than us. What? Oh. I can't help it. I just do. Um, but I have the weird ego thing where I'll bounce from one end to the other, like. I'll sit and write an episode in season two and be like, hmm, tower block full of vampires, but they're chavs. I'm a genius. (laughs) And then I read it back and I'm like, I'm a moron. What is this? Yeah. Well, you know what they say? Comparison is the thief of joy, right? Mm, Yeah. So now I have to ask then, if that's a problem, how do you measure success? There's two ways of looking at this because there's measuring success in the business sense. Does the show make more than it costs? The answer is no at the minute. (laughs) Um, On an artistic level, all I've ever wanted to do is tell a story that affected someone emotionally. I, I remember sitting in a cinema like five years ago or whenever it came out and watching Avengers Infinity War when Thanos snaps his fingers and everyone starts crumbling to dust, a turning to my right and there was a grown 40-odd-year-old man crying. And I was like, yes, I want to do that. So for me, the the best thing was uh, when we did the mid-season twist in season one, and I'm spoiling my own show now, but oh well. The the mid-season twist at the end of the fourth story is that Abigail has actually listened to the signal herself mm-hmm. and is now slowly dying. And her and James have this huge argument where James basically says, you got yourself into this. I It's not fair of you to put this on me. I'm leaving. And he walks out. And after that episode aired, we got someone right to us who was like, oh, I cried so much. And I was just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a terrible person, but yes. 
Benton, how do you measure success? Obviously, if you chase awards and whatnot, and you, you judge your success by that, you're kind of the goalpost will always move. I think there's always that part in the back of your head that's like, I want to show up to my, my sort of high school reunion and be doing better than everyone expected of me sort of thing. I think there's definitely that will always kind of lurk over me. But in all honesty, I think just being proud of something that I've made and knowing that I kind of put my blood, sweat and tears into it, that to me is worth more to me than, than an Oscar kind of thing. It's just making haunted, making content. It fulfills me. And that is enough. <laughs> I need you to know that what I did, it was to protect them. I know the truth now. They've told me the truth, and I choose to no longer play along with this lie. And for those I'm leaving behind. Fans of The X-Files or Evil will enjoy Haunted. The serial nature of the show allows for long-term stories, but also gives it the freedom to play with genre and style, from horror to suspense to comedy. You can listen to Haunted, the audio drama, on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.